Hi, I'm Emery Parker, interactive editor with The Post and Courier, here each week to discuss the forces shaping the Palmetto State and provide the context that gives it meaning. This is Understand South Carolina. I'm here with Brooks Brunson. Hi. And Kelly Poe. Hi. From The Post and Courier's web team, as well as reporter Robert Baer, to talk about extending Interstate 526, which would go from Citadel Mall in West Ashley to James Island. But this is also a story about traffic, rapid growth, and how Charleston is grappling with its new status as a mini Manhattan. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, so, Brooks, I think you were going to get us started here with some questions. What, what did you want to ask, Robert? Yeah, so, you know, in theory, the highway extension is a very simple thing. But as Robert knows, who has been reporting on this project and served as an editor when others have written about this project for a long time, is that this is nowhere close to simple. Am I right? No, this might be the most complicated and and controversial road project, not just in Charleston, but in South Carolina. And it's been called Charleston's Greatest Zombie Project. I love that. (laughs) Yes. Actually, I came up with that term, and I was glad when some people picked it up, some other writers, because because of the controversy, it's been dead at times, but then it's back to life, and then it seems dead again, but then it's back to life. Ghosts. You never know. Um, So can you... Speak to briefly, you know, what about this project makes it so complicated? Let's see. The complication is really in the controversy. It's really complicated because the people in the Charleston area aren't united behind it, like they were united behind the need to replace the Cooper River bridges. And that's led to a very protracted political fight over whether it should be built, which is in turn uh, significantly delayed it and driven up its cost. Can you just kind of explain like both sides of the issue? Like who is it for and what would it solve and why are so many people against it? Right. The people who want to see it built think it's just sort of the logical last step. Interstate 526 rings the the heart of the Charleston metro area like many other American cities have rings like 285 in Atlanta and or 185, 385 near Greenville. Um, so they think that this is just a, a logical, obvious project. And it certainly would um, promise to make it easier for people to get from the Citadel Mall area over to Johns Island and as well as James Island. It would particularly help Johns Island commuters who now have only two ways really off the island. It would give them some extra options, whether they're going to West Ashley and North Charleston or into downtown. So they want it. The people who don't want it really question whether it's it's needed, question whether you're just shifting the traffic delay from, say, Johns Island closer to West Ashley or downtown. And they also question the expense and whether essentially all this public money, and we're talking several hundred million dollars, could be put to better use. So I was looking at a map and trying to think about, okay, what parts would, would be uh, alleviated of traffic and what areas might get worse traffic. I mean, it kind of seems to me, I mean, from my experience, like I get caught in standstill traffic sometimes on uh, like 17 in West Ashley and then on Folly Road in James Island, uh, particularly during lunchtime or during rush hour. I mean, would this alleviate any of those kind of issues or would it not really affect those? I think in the short term, I think it would be expected to make that better. But the question is really how long would that benefit? Uh, how long would that we see that benefit? And is it really worth the the amount of money that it would 
that we'd have to spend to get it. Because the idea is that it wouldn't last super long because there would be more developments and more people moving to these areas? Exactly. There is a county study that showed that if you do build this, um, the rate of development on Johns Island would be slightly faster. It would encourage more development there. Though, let's be realistic. The development is going to come anyway. Uh, 526 is is not going to affect it that dramatically, though it will, it will speed it up. The 526 has become so controversial because it's sort of become the proxy fight in a, in a larger discussion over the future of transportation in the Charleston area. One of the ways that some of the politicians have pushed for funding is by claiming that this would um, kind of alleviate some issues with parts of Johns and James Island um, having trouble evacuating the area if there's a hurricane. Is there any merit to that claim? You know, possibly. I think that's certainly a point that's disputed between the proponents and the opponents. Um, I think it, it probably would help people get off Johns Island more quickly. The question is, would it actually help them get out of the Charleston metro area more right. quickly still, or whether it would move the clog from Johns Island yeah. to 26 and 526? Right. And the other part I wanted just to make sure we briefly talked about is I understand there's some environmental implications. Is that still a big part of the conversation? Very much so. Right now, the project has been revived by the state and, and Charleston County. And the, what they're doing right now is dusting off the previous environmental studies and updating it so to see whether uh, to get the necessary permits to move forward. So there will obviously be wetlands impacts, impacts on species, impacts on neighborhoods, and potentially even historic sites. And those, who knows, those environmental concerns could ultimately um, find themselves at the center of a future lawsuit that opponents might bring to stop this. Though I really do think that the opposition is more is less about the environmental impacts and more about the wisdom of spending this money and whether it's just a, a wise project given its price tag. Well, I think um, you were you you mentioned Robert that this is really a proxy fight about the future of Charleston and in particular the future of transportation in, in Charleston and I think that's a one of the things that I, I've I've kind of been thinking about this is going to be tremendously expensive but how does the cost of this project compare to you know other possibilities like something like a light rail corridor or well right now Charleston is is also make, Charleston County is also making a big bet a big push for a new bus rapid transit system that would link Somerville and downtown Charleston um, the the I-526 project at this point looks like it would cost probably more than twice that um, that initial and that light rail uh, that not like rail, the bus rapid transit is pegged at about 300 million or so, and a lot of that would be federal dollars. The project from um, 526 extension looks now like more than 700 million. And I think what what opponents are saying is 700 million, considering that's all almost all state and local money at this point, is just a huge amount. Of money and whether and shouldn't it be better spent on on flood relief that downtown needs or also giving us more of a state of the art more of a modern mass transit system which we simply don't have the Charleston area Rap regional transit authority does what it can with the money but the money is is relatively small almost a pittance compared to what this area is investing in mm -hmm. roads and bridges yeah well and so I think what's interesting about that Oh, and what's worth talking about with um, talking about like other methods of transportation is this idea of, it's called induced demand. 
I've, I've lived in a bunch of places and every place I've ever lived has had traffic problems. And, you know, you, you notice it feels like roads are always getting paved. There's always work going on and traffic never seems to get any better. And people tend to, I think, just kind of blame that on growth. But this this phenomenon called induced demand helps explain that to some extent as well. And, and just to summarize that, it is that if you pave new roads it will encourage people to use them who might not have otherwise used them. If you build it, they will come. Yes, exactly, exactly. So like, like, like I'll give you an example. I, I live downtown and I often have to run a lot of errands after work, but I know that's the worst possible time to try to be getting to West Ashley or Mount Pleasant. So I just don't do it. Now, if we could snap our fingers and massive, like just increase the capacity on all these roads to, you know, to catch up to demand, in theory, that would speed up traffic. But now I want to run those errands. So now I'm also on the road and I'm not in that. You have induced my demand. Right. That's And that's very much a real thing. I actually reported a few years ago when the state spent, um, don't remember the price tag exactly, but it was many millions of dollars to add a new lane on I-26 between, between 526 and Aviation Avenue. Uh, that was a congestion relief measure, and it was a very expensive project to widen that amount of interstate. Uh, and it worked for about a year, year and a half. And this was according to um, South Carolina Department of Transportation data based on cell phones and things where they could actually track congestion rates through on different roads throughout the state. And what they found is when that wider section opened up, yes, traffic moved through there more quickly for about a year or a year and a half. And then it actually went right back to the same congested state. And the way they explained that was that, yeah, people who had been avoiding that area by taking Rivers Avenue or some alternate route all of a sudden realized that it had that extra lane. And so they so they jumped, jumped on it. So is that part of the conversation when they're talking about the 526 extension? It's not been part of the political conversation, but it's certainly something that the opponents have been talking about for a long time. One of my favorite you know, kind of sayings along this line actually comes from a traffic engineer, veteran traffic engineer in Florida, who's been very kind of very vocally and articulately making the case that you can't build your way out of congestion, um, that the more you build, the, essentially the more congested you become. And he, his favorite line is that trying to build your way out of congestion is like trying to solve your overeating problem by buying bigger pants. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm not siding with the opponents here, but you know, to, to air out their case, I, I think that that's a, a really significant part of it. And I think basically what it comes down to is, do you want to be laying out more roads or do you want to be is it smarter maybe to be thinking about how do we actually just get fewer cars on the road in the first place? Like why, why are people needing to drive from this plot from point A to point B? Maybe if they didn't need to drive, if there were other options or if they just didn't need to make that trip in the first place. That's, that's very much a part of what lies at the controversial nature of this project um, is, is I think opponents um, see a chance to sort of change the discussion in Charleston, um, especially given the amount of money that's being spent. And but they are they have bumped up into the some political realities, which is that um, if you look at polling numbers and especially voters, they still are in the old 
almost automobile mindset. They are still skeptical that that biking or public transportation can ever meaningfully uh, play much of a, a, a role in transportation in the near future. Um, along the same lines, we recently did an episode on affordable housing. Um, and one of the things we talked about on that episode was um, how people talk about growth problems um, as if they're a solitary problem. Talk about affordable housing as if it exists solely in the context of affordable housing and the same with traffic. When in reality, the three of these things are, are very closely related. Uh, there's very little housing near job centers. Nurses at MUSC cannot afford to live near MUSC. Some doctors at MUSC can't afford to live at MUSC. People are sort of forced to live far away from where they work and that causes traffic. Um, and it seems like the fix for that would be to maybe build more affordable housing near job centers. Um, it seems like, again, this is $700 million plus million being spent to encourage people to live far away from their job and have long commutes. Right. The paradigm for all of our lives has been uh, has been residential development occurs out at the edge of town. That's where the land is cheap and, and available. Um, it's where you meet the less political resistance. Uh, it's the sort of drive to you qualify mindset. Is that normal for cities to have that kind of growth like so far away from job centers like that? Yes, in the 20th century, yeah, ever since the rise of the automobile, every American city has seen that to some degree. Even even New York City, which has the best public transportation system in the United States with its network of buses and subways and even ferries, um, even New York City went through the, uh, the huge transformation in the 20th century with Robert Moses and all the highway building that uh, essentially allowed great residential growth out onto Long Island and up into up past, you know, to Yonkers and beyond as well as over into New Jersey. You know, I, I would say actually this is kind of interesting. In, in some like urbanist and trans transportation circles, the idea of urban in interstates is actually itself controversial. And there's actually been kind of a backlash against it. Like, for example, I mean, it, it, you've probably noticed there a 26 runs right through downtown Charleston. They had to cut up a lot of roads and, and build, tear down a lot of stuff to build that interstate. Um, and it kind of cuts the city in half. And it the, the thinking is that you know, it's just meant to like ferry people really quickly from point A to point B, but you're not really interacting with the community in that sense. And that that just encourages this this pattern that Robert's talking about. Oh, you're right. The, the running interstates, especially in metro areas or through metro areas, has been controversial. The most expensive infrastructure project ever in the United States occurred up in Boston, where they were essentially trying to heal their downtown from from an elevated interstate that had been built there pretty misguidedly in the mid-20th century. That was project was known as the Big Dig, hugely expensive. Didn't get rid of the interstate, but it did put it underground and was able to knit the city back together nicely. But other, inter other cities have also gotten rid of um, elevated highways like the Embarcadero in San Francisco. I think there's another example in Milwaukee where they, they've pushed back and they've said, no, this is not good urban form. The Crosstown, I think many feel was a was a big mistake. The city's making the best of it now with nice new park parks mm -hmm. and nice landscaping and a new drainage project that might keep it from flooding. But um, many urbanists think that that was, a, was and remains a real scar uh, across the middle of the Peninsular yeah, that really divides 
downtown a lot. I think that where this is happening is really significant, too. Johns Island is historically one of the more rural parts of the right, Charleston yeah. urban area, and it is already, um, if, if you look at it, like a percentage of how it's grown compared to how many people used to live there. It's one of the fastest growing areas in Charleston, and they have a lot of issues related to that. Traffic is one of them. Flooding is another. Um, I happen to think that if I had, if I were a longtime resident of Johns Island, I might not want this. Is that, are you seeing that? Totally. The opponents and the supporters of the 526 extension can't neatly be organized into geographical groups. There are people on Johns Island who very much want to see it, but there are also people on Johns Island who very much don't want to see it and believe that it will further erode the island's rural character or you know what remains of it and and fuel speed up suburban development and that it will only be done to you know enrich a few large property owners who ha- own large undeveloped tracks near the footprint what about what about the property issues real quickly like what property will this actually go over? Does the is that property owned by the state or, or is it private? Some of it is. Some of it's already been purchased mm-hmm. because this project has been going on now, really in in pretty off again, on again. The project's been kind of in go mode since uh, two thousand and five or so. Uh, though there have been some hiccups along the way. But even before then, it was on the boards. The state does own some right of way, uh, and it is probably going to acquire more. There will be some effects in some West Ashley neighborhoods just south of Savannah Highway, uh, where it will where it will begin. Um, there will also be a p- pieces of of Johns Island that uh, that won't necessarily need to be acquired, but that will change the character very greatly because people will be looking out over a over an elevated highway. Most of the most of the road, it's uh, more than five miles. Most of it will be built as a sort of an elevated road over marshes and, and, and waterways. You mentioned a lot of the controversy has to do with the cost. Um, the most recent estimates we have are that it would be like 700 million? 720 million, they're about 725. And that's years old. About three years old. And so we are now spending money on this. There is money being spent. Correct. As a result of the recent decision to revive it, uh, the state and county are spending about $6 million on on the consultant to resume the environmental work toward getting the necessary permit. And to find out exactly how much it would cost, right? Exactly. Yeah, because we don't, the project's been dormant so long, it had its sort of sleeping zombie phase for so long that, that, uh, that 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 number is outdated, and there are a number of questions that need to be answered before we can even get a new number. Um, and even once we get a new number, there'll be the uncertainty of of what sort of lawsuits the project might face, how long those lawsuits might tie this and further delay the project, and what that will do to the cost. And that cost certainly isn't going to have gone down. No, as a matter of fact, I think construction costs have have risen pretty pretty sharply over you know in recent years. The Charleston's International African American Museum is seeing that they were almost they thought they were all ready to build, and then they looked at the numbers and realized they needed to do a little more fundraising. I'm sure we're going to have a similar sort of wake up call once more work is done um, on 526 as far as what the what the total price tag will be. So we have to spend millions of dollars just to find out how much it costs. 
That's what it looks like. Yes. And and to answer the questions of exactly, you know, what will be built. Because mm-hmm. right now the, the permitting process, you know, it's laid out by state and federal government. And it's very complicated and it involves a lot of questions about what will be harmed and what does the what does the government need to do to offset that harm and how the road will be designed, how many interchanges there will be, will it be a parkway, will it be an interstate? All these decisions that are sort of fleshed out and made during the permitting process and during the initial design um, very much will will have something to bear on the, the price tag. So is it is it definitely happening? You said it's a zombie project. It's died and it's come back to life. Could it, it go back to dying again? Yes, it could. Um, but it would take a pretty significant political shift. I mean, right now, 526 is enjoying probably more political support than it ever has. I think the if you look at the recent county council, Charleston County Council, and even city council elections, you'll see generally supporters of 526 have prevailed. Uh, so there is a lot of support. But here's the question, though. Um, those races that I've been talking about have been primarily West Ashley, James Island races. Once it becomes clear exactly how much money this is going to cost Charleston County taxpayers, it remains to be seen if there will be a significant backlash among other local county officials from East Cooper or even North Charleston or or maybe more downtown Charleston, maybe even rural uh, Charleston, southern Charleston County. In other words, the, the area where this is going to get built, I think some of the most vocal and excited supporters are in that in or near that corridor. The further away you get from that, I think the the maybe the more questions or the, the, the weaker the support is. Um, we haven't seen a political backlash yet, but that's maybe because we still don't know how much county money we're talking about or exactly where it's going to come from. I think that's a pretty good place to leave it. Brooks, do you feel like you understand South Carolina better? I do. I didn't realize that this could make traffic worse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like... Emory, um, do you feel like you understand South Carolina better? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I think I, I understand now better the, the politics of why the costs can kind of balloon out of control for a project like this. Kelly, how do you feel? Anxious. <laughs> <laughs> I also learned that Robert Barra is a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I knew that already, well, I, yeah, right? We, I knew that. We knew that. But, but like, I, I knew he was a wealth of knowledge when it came to South Carolina, but you were shooting off facts from Boston and New York. I was like, Wow. How do you know all the things, Robert? I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> all right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later.